Well, hello. Good to see you all. Thanks for joining us in person. Love having the, you guys with us here, especially when you laugh really, really hard when I tell jokes um, or when I don't tell a joke, but you still think it's funny. Um, either way, I love that. If you're joining us online, thanks for joining us. I'm really impressed that you can lean in in front of a computer or phone or a TV screen and wrangle the family. So thanks for joining us. And for those of you out in the parking lot, uh, really, really um, amazed for the last seven, eight months. How you just keep leaning in out there. Thanks for joining us there. For, for the last seven, eight months, let me just catch you up to speed on where we've been. We've been in this, uh, I guess, word campaign, maybe it'd be a good title for it, of the series called The Gospel of Luke. So 30, 32, somewhere around there, weeks of continuing to look at this this gospel. And we've been um, pulling out what we call some series, sub-series about it. But kind of the, the big idea is that there is this guy, his name was Luke, and let me pull this back a little bit so everybody can, everybody can participate. There's this guy named Luke who was a doctor turned investigative journalist. And the reason he became this investigative journalist is because there was this guy named Theophilus. Okay? Now, Theophilus was probably a Roman official who had lots of influence, lots of affluence, and he would have been kind of responding to Caesar. Okay? So you got Theophilus, who would have been a Roman leader, who would have had a boss in Caesar— and he is, is kind of charged with this responsibility of keeping things in order, making sure people participate in the government, making sure people give their money to the government. As long as Theophilus would have done well with that, he would have been celebrated. But there's one other thing that would have been required of Theophilus, and he would have to say something really, really strange. Maybe every day, maybe every couple of hours, maybe before every meal, whatever that is, he would have to say out loud, Caesar is Lord, meaning he's boss. Now, one of the things that uh, we can probably surmise about this is Theophilus was probably suspicious of whether or not that actually made sense, right? He knew he wasn't a deity. He knew that he wasn't, like, someone who had supernatural power. Like, he understood those things, and yet he had to say these things in order to kind of protect his influence and affluence. I mean, he had a lot of uh, um, access to a lot of stuff. He had a really, really good life. And yet, yet something was off because he knew, he knew, this is my guess, that there is something greater for him that he could experience, something that he longed for that hadn't been met within the Roman Empire, which is nice because what I love about us doing this for the last 30 weeks is we can identify there, right? Many of you have a lot of influence, a lot of affluence. I mean, most of us, in fact, all of us in some way have uh, affluence compared to the rest of the world, right? You have clothes in your closet, food in your cupboard, right? Heat and air conditioning, all those kind of things, right? Like we, like this is what's so crazy for us. We literally put our bodily waste in fresh water. You get how strange that is, right? Like, there are places all across the globe where they're going, you mean you're tainting your water with that? And yet, we put our human waste into clean water so we can flush it out because we know more is coming, right? So for us, in some ways, we, we can identify with the office of just having influence— an affluence, right? You got your social media. You got some influence with what you can post. All those different things. And yet Theophilus was real suspicious that maybe there is something greater to life. You have the same suspicion. Maybe there's more to life than, you know, birth to death, wake up in the morning, work really hard, go to bed, right? More than that. And so Theophilus hires this guy, Luke, this doctor, uh, brilliant scientist, uh, to go and investigate this guy named 
Jesus. So Theophilus goes, I'm not sure Caesar should be Lord. Maybe we should start talking about Jesus as Lord. But if I say Jesus is Lord, he changes everything about my affluence, everything about my influence, right? All of a sudden, I'm going to surrender some uh, temporary comforts for this greater idea that maybe there's a greater way to live for now and through all eternity. So he spends lots of money to hire Luke to spend years, if not a decade, going and interviewing all the people that walked with Jesus, going and reading all the documents that were written about Jesus, going and hearing all the pastors and all the preachers and all the rabbis who talked about Jesus. So he goes and captures it all, tells us he put together this orderly account that we've been reading for a while. It's actually 1,151 verses of an orderly account. And in those 1,151 verses, there's 568 direct quotations from Jesus himself. And he tells us this. He says, I write these things so that you may have certainty of the things that have been taught. In other words, hey, Theophilus, you know, timely in that moment for Theophilus, and hey, CLC, you know, right here in 2021, I write these things so that you can have certainty of the things you've been taught. So what is it he's talking about in terms of certainty? This is what he's talking about, okay? That he is talking about there is kind of this whole idea that there are kind of this world we live in right now, right? We've been kind of calling that here. Got it? Sorry, Luke. I'll pick you back up. So, uh, this world that we've been looking at here. Caesar, you can lay sideways there. So, this whole world that we've been in, we've just kind of been referring to this here. And so, in uh, Theophilus' mind, here would have been uh, the Roman Empire. It worked well for him. But it wasn't everything he longed for. And so, what Luke is going to do is he's going to write this orderly account that we can have certainty about there is a better place, a better kingdom, a better king. Jesus is Lord, right? There is a certain place that we all can experience, both Theophilus, time timely in that moment, us, timeless, that we can all experience this whole other kingdom. So for Theophilus, it was the Roman kingdom. For us, we've just been using the term kingdom of God. And what Luke does for us is he gives us this whole picture that there is a place that's greater than here. And it's there, and it's the kingdom of heaven. And now here is the big, um, aha, life changer. This kingdom over here, right here, this kingdom, the kingdom that was promised to Theophilus. The king was promised us. Doesn't start sometime way off in the future when you die. When Luke is writing this to Theophilus, and the Holy Spirit's writing this to us, he's going, you can leave here, and you can go there, and you can start experiencing all those things that you long for in your heart. A world with peace and hope and joy and love and kindness and grace and mercy. That's all available to you. But, but the way that you get from here to there, the way that you get there is all through Jesus. And so, big, big ideas. We've been kind of looking at Theophilus, uh, the writings to the Theophilus from Luke, kind of giving us an idea of what, what's to come. How can we get access to the kingdom? So you're going to see throughout the Gospel of Luke this contrast between kingdom of earth, kingdom of heaven. So kind of looking at that. And for the last, now this will be seven weeks, we've been in the sub-series called Happy Strife, Happy Life. And here's the crazy thing. So for Theophilus, for us, we go, oh, okay. Luke is telling us that we can have certainty about these things, that there is a better kingdom that we can have access to. And you go, well, how do I get from here and go there? And one of the big problems we've been looking at is in order to leave here, you have to go there. In order to get where you want to go, the problem is you have to leave where you want to stay. And so one of the neat things about when we look at our world and the brokenness and the pain and the sorrow, uh, Dave Ramsey says it this way, when the pain of the same is greater than the pain of the change, that's when people actually start changing. Right? And so as we kind of been looking at in the series, this idea that it's actually in pain and sorrow and strife 
in conflict where those antennae go up and we go, is this it? There's got to be a better way, right? Where, where things are a mess in your life or uh, things are a mess in your family or things are a mess in your workplace, right? Or things are a mess in our world. Know anything about that, right? And you go, this can't be it. This can't be it. And when the need things, in order to get where you want to go, you have to leave where you want to stay. The easiest way to go there is to go, I don't want to stay here anymore. And so we kind of have, the, what we've been understanding is literally pain, sorrow, conflict is just a doorway. You're not going to live in it forever. And that doorway is literally your option, your crossroads, your decision to go, do I turn back and go where I came from? All the things that were comfortable for me. And I go back to this life that seems meaningless, seems menial, didn't seem like anything I long for. Or do I finally, finally, finally take a step into, lean into the full kingdom of heaven? And what I'd argue for you, is the kingdom of heaven is far beyond whatever you could hope or imagine. And it can start for you today. And many, many of us would attest to that. Not that our life's perfect, not that it's puppies and rainbows, but I promise you, I promise you with everything I am, the kingdom of heaven is so much better than the kingdom of earth that the whole idea of this whole thing is to convince all of us, let's go there together. And you go, okay, okay, you got to walk through it. But how do you actually walk through it? Which is why we've been looking at this really, really fancy word called faith faith. And here's kind of the thing about faith. Faith is literally the key. The key. Right? The, the, the key to the kingdom of heaven. Literally, it is faith that goes, I'm ready to go over there, and it's your faith in Jesus that gets you over here. Right? And so I've been kind of studying faith. Here's kind of the working definition we've been working through is faith is not believing, not believing, but obeying even when your senses tell you otherwise, right? You sure? I don't know. Should I walk in there? And faith, faith, faith this is the only way, only way to get access into the kingdom. By the way, faith in Jesus is the only way to get access to the kingdom. And the three things we've kind of been learning about, the second part of the happy strife, happy life, the plus piece, where we're looking at real individuals who've experienced it, is that, that the really neat thing, that uh, faith is not something that uh, starts with you. You have to manufacture it. You have to dig deep down inside your gut to find it. That's, Something that doesn't originate with you, right? By the way, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. In fact, on this side of heaven, it never will be. Your theology won't be perfect. All those things won't be perfect. So faith doesn't start with you. It doesn't have to be perfect. And the third one is really, really, really neat. It has less to do with your certainty and the percentage of your faith and everything. So nothing to do with those things and everything to do with the object in which you place your faith. So one of the neat things is we saw a couple weeks ago, this guy, Roman centurion, where we see all this happen. We see a light bulb go off because Jesus is there, right? He's in this moment of pain and sorrow. He can't fix his servant, right? And so this light bulb goes off and goes, this kingdom, I don't want to live here anymore. I want to go there. Well, how do I experience a place without pain and sorrow and poor health and death, right? And we see Jesus actually show up in the town. So it initiates with Jesus. And then we go, he has this understanding, this light bulb faith that Jesus has authority from God. He doesn't understand it fully. He's not even sure that Jesus is God. He just knows he has access to God, right? And so doesn't have perfect faith. But then he, you see him lean in and place his faith into Jesus, and we see this servant be healed. So we saw this kind of oversight of those three things, right? Starts with Jesus, doesn't have to be perfect, has everything to do with the object of your faith and not your certainty of the faith, right? And so then last week, really, really neat, we looked at this widow, Young widow, probably, teenage boy, in the middle of a really terrible, grieving moment. You see the kingdom of heaven, all of these people following Jesus and celebrating in the kingdom of earth, this dirge, this death, kind of collide together in this little town called Nain. And we get to really look at kind of that first part of faith. It had nothing to do with the lady. In fact, she doesn't pray a prayer. 
She doesn't do any of those things. She doesn't even ask to be, uh, for her son to be healed. None of those things. But we got to see that first part. That faith, faith, faith. is all about, all about starting with Jesus. Really, really good news for you. Doesn't have to be manufactured in you. You don't have to create it. You just got to open it, right? And so lastly, we got to see that it starts with Jesus today, today. We're really, really going to double down on this idea that it doesn't have to be perfect, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. So faith isn't doubtless. In fact, the way I'd argue is faith is, I told you earlier, believing when your senses uh, tell you otherwise. Here's another really good definition for you. Faith is obeying even when you doubt. Because the reality is we all doubt. In fact, in fact, we're going to learn again about this guy today named John the Baptist. We had a, you can go back and listen to one of the first couple, actually about the first four weeks, we talked a lot about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist, we're going to see in this passage, was said to be the greatest human born of a woman, right? That's what it says, to ever live. The greatest human to ever live. Right? I mean, that is so profound. That is a neat bio. And yet, yeah, we're going to see today, John the Baptist has deep, deep doubts. So faith is, starts with Jesus today. It is believing and obeying, even when you doubt. Right? And this is why it's so and so important when we look at faith. Faith is all about obedience over understanding. Your understanding can wait. In fact, you, might, or you won't get full understanding about all the things of God and how he worked on this planet. I promise you that. Right? You will not get it on this side of, you know, eternity, right? So faith is not about knowing and understanding. It's about obeying. So your understanding can wait. Your obedience cannot. And so we're going to look at this passage of John the Baptist. But in order to understand more about John the Baptist, you've got to understand about some of these guys. You've got Herod the Great, real people in history, so beautiful, and Herod Antipas, okay? And we'll talk a little bit about Caesar again. So there is this Caesar, and Caesar is just a title for the emperor of Rome. For the first 150, 200 years, um, the, you know, turns you know, A.D., the year of the Lord, that's kind of the t- working title. So multiple Caesars, emperor, starts with Emperor Augustus, ends up with Emperor Hadrian, the last one I think that uses Caesar. But there's kind of these Caesars, and these Caesars want to be seen as divinity. So their job is to be worshipped. That's what they think. They have all the power, all the authority. They have no interest in going over there. Remember, to get where you want to go, you got to leave where you want to stay. They don't want to go there because here worked out pretty well for them. And so they were worshipped. One of the dilemmas they had in this big Roman empire is when they took over um, territories, they kind of inherited the culture of the territory. So when you take over, you know, the, the Jewish empire, Israel, guess what you inherit? The Jewish religion. So the emperors had to figure out a way to help make sure they don't revolt. They don't have the little trinkets, do the little worship, but also make sure they still get all the money, right? And so they had these, these different Herods that would be these different kings of Israel that would be over it. And, you know, um, about the time of Jesus being born, there's this Herod the Great, and he was kind of seen as the king of Israel. And Israel's kind of broken up into these different states, and Herod the Great was over all of them. Then Herod the Great dies, and all of his sons, uh, you know, stepsons, half-sons, they all start buying and fighting for the kingdom, okay? And so they all want to be seen as the king of, you know, Judea, Israel, and one of the sons was Herod Antipas. Now, you would hear his, term, his name called Herod the Tetrarch. The reason being is Tetrarch literally means king of a fourth, right, or over a fourth. And so Herod Antipas and all of his half-brothers start lobbying to Caesar, Augustus at this point, to let them be king over 
Israel. So they had to pull out their PowerPoint and go, this is why you should let me be the king of Israel. This is how I'll make sure that they obey. We get their taxes. Here's the plan about the temple tax, all those different things. And then Herod, or then Caesar would have made decisions about who to be king. And the problem is Antipas, he doesn't get the whole regime. He gets one-fourth. And unfortunately, one of the fourths he gets is over Galilee. Now, Galilee is this little hillbilly state where John the Baptist is from. And so John the Baptist is showing up saying, repent for you don't want to live here anymore. The kingdom of heaven is near. And so John the Baptist was declaring that it is here. It is showing up. And he's inviting all these Jews to be baptized and start participating in the kingdom of heaven. Now that's not good for Antipas. Because he knows you get a big enough uh, critical mass, right, to start your revolution, then we're in big, big trouble. And this guy is still kind of, on, you know, like in the job interview. The, he sees Herod the Tetrarch as entry level. He wants to be king over all. And so he's going, I gotta make sure to rein in these crazies. And one of those crazies was John the Baptist. He didn't care about pleasures. He didn't care about comforts. He loved the kingdom of heaven. The Holy Spirit gave him a glimpse of how things should and could be, and he spent all of his time there. And when he had nothing to lose, right? Take away his stuff. Give him pain, whatever it is. Had nothing to lose and everything to gain in this this becomes a real issue for Antipas. Now, on top of that, John the Baptist has actually spent a little bit of time saying out loud uh, and making some assessments about Herod Antipas and others' uh, morality. In fact, uh, you can go back to a couple weeks, or, you know, six months ago, where we I, I pulled it off on the felt board. But Herod Antipas has a pretty broken life, married to someone, or girlfriend to someone he shouldn't be brother's wife, you know, does some murdering, does some adulteries, all sorts of brokenness. And so John the Baptist is kind of called that out. So what's happened is Antipas has grabbed John the Baptist in the middle of this thing as he's declaring, ushering the kingdom of, kingdom of heaven. He's put him now in prison. And so John the Baptist isn't experiencing any freedom right now. He is literally in a dungeon. And you can imagine John the Baptist started out declaring this great thing of going, hey, we're going to go over here. Come with me, right? Repent. That means change the way you think. Can't do this anymore. Can't live here anymore. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. And so he's declaring all these things. And you can imagine, once you get thrown in prison, once you get isolated, once you start hearing, having lots of conflict and pain and strife and sorrow, the doubts start to rise, right? Many of you are there now. Frankly, I, I get here a decent amount of just kind of going, God, I don't I don't know what you're up to, right? I can, you know, like be praying for healing for people or working with someone on their marriage and going, God, you're up to something. I can't wait to see it. And then when it doesn't actually come to fulfillment or when it takes a lot longer than I anticipated, right? The, the doubt started to creep in. So you can imagine that John the Baptist in the middle of a dungeon is starting to wonder, is it really a kingdom of heaven? Am I? Are you sure? And so that's where we find ourselves really, really important. And again, remember, first part is it starts with Jesus, right? Second part is it doesn't have to be perfect. It's, it's obeying even when you have doubts, right? So let me catch you up to speed. Here we are, Luke chapter 7, verse 18. Let me read it to you. This is what it says. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. So what had just happened, I just told you, Jesus just uh, brought, brought healing to the centurion. He literally has just brought a dead boy, teenager, back to life. And it literally says, this news spreads through all Judea, right? So this thing starts spreading. And so John has some disciples. These are the people that 
followed him. Now, most of Jesus' first followers were originally John's disciples. So literally he goes, hey, I can't get you any further. Follow Jesus, right? And so, but there are some that stay with John, and they are going back and telling him what is going on in the kingdom with Jesus. Now, it's interesting because it's not like they had like a glass and the phone. This isn't like modern day prison visitation. The reality is not only was he thrown in prison, he actually, they wouldn't feed him either. Like they weren't going to, they weren't going to bear the tax burden of John the Baptist. So the only way by which he got food was if people actually brought him food. And so I guess in some of those occasions, the disciples of John were reminding and telling uh, John the Baptist what's actually happening. So it says they reported all these things to him. So there's this interaction, John with his disciples, and this is what it says. And John, verse 19, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? So literally, Jesus tells us, he's going to tell us just a second, this is the greatest man to ever live, and he literally is in this gap, right here in the middle of the pain, and he's still going, are you the one? Listen, given his whole life, made all the declarations, baptized Jesus, and you know, like, he was, he was born of this crazy supernatural moment for Elizabeth and Zechariah, right? This crazy thing. And all of a sudden he gets to this kind of pain and sorrow and he is filled with doubt. And he actually sends his disciples to Jesus and goes, are you the one or should we look for another? In other words, I know it's not here and I know it's there and I know I can't get from here to there on my own. But my question is, Jesus, are you the one that gets us over here? Because candidly, right now it doesn't feel like it. Candidly, I'm literally in shackles in a prison are you the one or should we look for another so imagine this jesus gets this from the disciples and you go what does he say how does he respond really important to figure this out what does he say how does he respond verse 20 and it says this and when the men had come to him they said john the baptist has sent us to you so these guys they go and talk to jesus and saying so they're going to repeat this luke wants to make sure you understand it are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? So Jesus is doing all of his work. These disciples go, hey, excuse me, Jesus. John the Baptist wants to know. He's in prison. He wants to know if we should keep doing this, keep following you. Are you, are you definitely the one? Because, you know, it's a little stranger now. Or, or should we start looking for another? Right? Now imagine this. It seems a slightly offensive if you're Jesus going, what do you mean? Am I the one? I just brought dead guy back to life. What do you mean am I the one? But fair, right? Doubt. And so he asked, watch what. So Jesus is going to respond. And so how does he respond here? Here's what he says. In that hour, so he asked a question. That hour means in that very set period of time. He healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And many who were blind, he bestowed sight. So these disciples come to him and go, are you the one? John the Baptist is wondering. And he goes, well, let me show you. And so what Jesus is doing now is he's giving us a window into what it looks like to be fully in the kingdom of heaven for all eternity. And so he's starting to bring healing to people. So literally, it says in that hour, he's, he's bringing healing. And so that literally, that word in there, healing, literally means to be properly restored. So, so beautiful. Because one of the things that we misunderstand about miracles is we think that God is kind of interrupting the natural world in this, but he's not. He's actually restoring the way that it's supposed to be, right? This is, what's natural is people shouldn't be blind. 
What's natural is there shouldn't be cancer. What's natural is people should be in perfect relationships with grace and mercy. What's natural is there should be no death. And so when you see these moments, Jesus is giving them a small window of what's to come. So he starts doing those things in that hour. So they ask the question. He hasn't responded yet. He just keeps doing what he's doing. He just keeps living in the kingdom of heaven and inviting other people in the kingdom of heaven. And in verse 22, it says this. And then he added to them, sorry, and he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. In other words, I know that John is in the middle of this mess right here. What I want you to do is I want you to go tell John what it looks like for all these people who are, who are experiencing this. Go and tell John what you have seen and what you have heard. Meaning, hey, disciples, you are seeing this. You're witnessing this. This is you now your, your charge to go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. And let me tell you what you should tell him, right? The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached on. This is so, so beautiful, because um, back in Luke chapter 4, right when we finally go, hey, 11,151 verses, 1,151 verses uh, in the Gospel of Luke, 568 of those are direct quotations from Jesus. It took us a month or more to even get some of Jesus' first words, maybe six, seven weeks. And then finally we get his first words, and he shows up, and he's in this synagogue in this little hillbilly town in Galilee called Nazareth. And he opens up the, uh, the, the scroll to Isaiah, and he actually quotes from three or four different parts of Isaiah. And this is what he says. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering sight to the blind, so to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So just year, year and a half earlier when Jesus is starting to establish his kingdom, he shows up and he reads this and he tells them, and that day this has happened, right? And so what he's telling John the Baptist is, hey John the Baptist, you know the scriptures and you know the book of Isaiah, the promise that there would be a, a, a king and a kingdom that would come and re be reestablished the kingdom of earth would fade away and the kingdom of heaven would be established and this is how you'll know it'll happen. The blind will see, the lame will walk, the dead will live Right? And so you see this. So he's going, this is what I want you to tell him. I want you to mind him of the scriptures. I want you to tell him that you've seen the evidence of the things. And again, it says the blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers, those with disease are cleansed. They're made clean. And the deaf will hear. So you see those. And it's like, oh, that's kind of like reversal, right? So dead, live, that's reversal. Blind, see, that's reversal. You know, deaf, hear, that's reversal. Dirty lepers, cleanse, that's reversal. And then he says the last one. And the poor... The poor have good news preached to them. What? Like, how is that, like, is that reversal? What is that? What does it mean? Shouldn't the poor be fed? Shouldn't the um, poor get a stimulus check? Shouldn't the poor, you know, like, should, what do you mean the, the poor good news? And this is so, so important. Because that word poor in the scriptures literally mean destitute or desolate. And the best definition would be that which no, that has no other options they have no other options in fact they are living in the here and now on this thing and they're going i have no options i have no options like this is deep and depressing that means they cannot depend on themselves and cannot depend on anyone else for anything which is the exact opposite of how we want to live right our whole goal in life life is safety and comfort by comfort we mean we just don't want to depend on anyone or anything for our own life right and so literally when it says those who are poor that means they are out of all options so the good news we're going oh there's still an option you it's not this is the good news here is they are here and going it's locked 
Like, I can't get there no matter what I do. My life is over. And many of you feel this pain in so many different parts of your life. Nope, it's just, it's just done. My marriage is done. My health is done. My finances are done. My job is done. My family is done, right? So when this says, the, uh, he, he said this good news was preached to the poor. This isn't just about poverty and money. This is about coming to a wall and going, I cannot get any further. There's no way to get through. And in that moment, Jesus is going, the good news is there is still an option for you, right? This is, this is coming to a locked door and Jesus is going, no, it's not locked. Oh, it's not locked. In fact, I am on the other side of the door and you are, you, you, you are, I want to come and get you and bring you through it. And so when it says the good, have the good news preached to him. So he goes, hey, hey, John, go tell John. Hey, disciples, go tell John that all the things we've declared and promised, all the things that I've said would come true. They've now come true. Then he says something that, boy, I want you to get this, probably, probably the most important verse in this whole thing. Watch what it says in verse 23. Really, really, really important. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Okay, so, hey, John. Hey, go tell John, one, that the scriptures have come true. All the things that he'd been hoping for, there's no evidence and fruit for it. Right? Now, by the way, John's not going to see it. He's just going to hear about it, which is really, really important because it tells us in Romans that faith comes from hearing the Word of God. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the words of Jesus himself. So Jesus is speaking words into the disciples. They're now taking these words back to John, and so he doesn't get to see it. He doesn't get a video. He can't log on to YouTube. He can't do anything. He literally, he's just having to hear the evidence of this. He's going, go tell him that. And then, then, then one more thing, last, last verse that it has to do with, hey, this is what you're going to tell John. Last thing that he charges them to tell John is this. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, seven weeks ago, we started this happy strife, happy life, looking at the Beatitudes where it says, blessed are the poor, you know, blessed are the, you know, those in pain, blessed are those who mourn, because they'll be comforted, blessed, blessed, and then you look at the Matthew, Gospel of Matthew, blessed are the, those pure hearts, they'll see God, right? This idea of blessing, literally, it literally just means happiness. It's all means. We kind of messed it up and go, no, happiness is, happiness is based on your circumstances, joy, 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 joy is with, you know, without your circumstances, doesn't matter, and it's like, no, they're kind of interchangeable. Happy is the word here, he's going, Tell John, so, 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 so crazy. He's in the, little, in the middle of a, a dungeon. He goes, tell him he can have happiness. Tell him he can have it. Tell him right now, he can have it. Hear me, hear me. You can have it. You can be blessed today. You want to know how? You want to know how you can be blessed? So crazy. He says, the one who is not offended me by me finds blessing. <laughs> Let me help you understand. That word offended there it has to do with like, a snare or a trap, like someone who's walking and puts their foot in a, a, a snare and gets kind of, you know, captured by it. So he goes, the one who, um, who is not offended, who's not captured by the things of this area over here, they're the ones who find blessing. But here's, here's another one. That word in the Greek is scandalizo. Here's the first word, scandal. This is the word we get for scandal. So let's think about what a scandal is. A scandal is when the, um, there is an assessment that something is morally wrong right? And then morally wrong and therefore outrage. A scandal is kind of, whether, whether it's the media, whether it's you, where you define that is wrong, and then there's outrage as a result of it being wrong. So what he's saying to John and all of us is going, blessed are those who don't make this assessment about the kingdom of heaven, and then find reasons to turn their back on it. This is so, so important, because let's think about where John is right now. He's in prison. 
Let's think about his first disciples. They could go. If that's what the kingdom of heaven looks like, John is literally in prison. I want nothing to do with that. I thought that Jesus was going to free John. Nope, he doesn't. He gets his head cut off. So, talk about a guy, John, be like, wait, wait, wait. This isn't how I was built. This isn't how I made. This is what I, I long for. But this is a guy who surrenders all of his longings and all of his desires and submits them all for the kingdom of heaven. Now, I'm not telling you, if you follow Jesus, that this is what's going to happen to you. The reality is, it's very unlikely that it will. And yet, and yet, the one who is greatest in the kingdom, who had doubts, Jesus goes, blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And boy, are we easily offended. Right, and read the scriptures and go, well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to think that. I don't want to participate in that, right? Like, so you think about this so often, and we look at all the different ways. So it doesn't, blessedness actually comes from not being offended about what Jesus tells you is wrong about your desires. About what Jesus tells you is wrong with you grasping for your comfort over that which is right. Right? We, and I, I don't want to live, a, a, I don't want to spend a lot of time here, and I don't want you to hear this as a megaphone. This isn't the grab it for the gotcha thing to share on social media, but we live in a world that looks into our heart and says, follow your heart. This is how I'm made. And if that Bible, that God wants me to live differently, then I'll choose a different path, right? Talking about marriage and divorce and sexuality and any and everything, the way we spend our money, right? All these different things. We live in a world, you and I live in a world, we operate in a world where we are easily offended by what Jesus calls us to. Well, think about this. John was literally in prison. You think that's what his desire of his heart wanted? You think he wanted to be in prison? He was dependent on every other person in the world to bring him food, to give him eyes to the outside world. You think that's what he wanted? You think that's what his little heart desired? You think that's where he wanted to follow after in the kingdom? You think that's what he thought he signed up for? Right, so this idea that the whole idea of our happiness is God wants us just to follow our heart because that's what makes us happy. The reality is those things don't make you happy. The very things that I thought would give me more worth in high school and college are actually the things I still struggle with that make me feel worth less. Right, and so this idea that somehow God's plan for us is, what is your little heart desire, Josh? Don't go and be all that. You can be a cute butterfly. Go do whatever it is. Chase after your pleasures. Chase after your desires because that's what God wants for us. That's not what God wants for us because the problem in the kingdom of earth is we've been told that those things satisfy and fulfill. Hear me. They will not satisfy you. They do not suit you. And even if they did satisfy you or suit you, they cannot save you. They can't. Right? Those things that bring us temporary pleasure and joy cannot save you, cannot get you into the kingdom of heaven. Right? And so this idea that it's all about our pleasure and our desire, those things are distractions to the kingdom. So literally Jesus says, tell John, because I know he's got some doubts. He's going, this is not what I signed up for. Tell him, blessed are those who aren't easily offended by me, who don't get caught up in the, the battle of, you know, I like that church until they wanted more from me. I like the kingdom until God declared that I should follow him with all of me. I hear this thing that Jesus tells me where my treasure is. That's where my heart is as well. And somehow he ties money to treasure, right? That, no, no, that's not what God wants. Anyway, I'm not interested in your money in any ways, right? Because I think Jesus wants much more for us than our money. He wants our hearts. And so it's really easy to take those first two, three steps. As long as it's still about us-centric, our things, 
our plans and that somehow Jesus is this genie in a bottle who gets us what we want. The reality, if that is the case in the Gospels, then no wonder John would want to doubt that. Because he doesn't get anything in this. He gets his head on a platter for someone else. He says, and blessed is the one who doesn't have this outrage about the kingdom of heaven. And then he doubles down on this thought, right? So then it says this, when John the messenger, John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Really, really important here. Then he asked them this question. So John's messengers leave. J- Jesus, they just heard this. They're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus doesn't want us to be offended by this. He doesn't want us to do those things. So, okay, what? He didn't get John out of prison. He didn't tell the disciples to say, hey, tell John I'll get him out next week. None of that. And they're going, whoa, whoa, whoa. So Jesus so graciously debriefs this with him, and this is what he says. What did you go into the wilderness to see? No, he's asked that question three different times. In other words, what were you looking for? You all know John. He was the one that declared, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. In other words, repent because you are so close to it. Repent. Well, what did you go into the wilderness to see? Then he asked this question. A reed shaken by the wind? I mean, what did you expect from John? Did you think he was just going to be this weak guy who was just waiting for me to fix all of his problems? Like, what, what, what were you looking for? Were you not looking for someone who was deeply committed to the kingdom of heaven? What were you looking for in this? Were you, were you looking for someone that's literally that just is blown here and there by the world's culture? Is that what you're looking for? I don't think that's what you're looking for, right? What did you expect? What did you expect for someone to declare that there is a kingdom to live in? And he asked them again. What did you go out there to see? So these are folks who are going, wait, we knew John, and now he's in prison? What what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. I could spend some time there not going to. Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in the king's court. Remember, we started the series going, in order to get where you want to go, you've got to leave where you want to say, stay. And the problem is, what did you expect? That John would be in all this pageantry? That he'd have a really nice car and a big house? But is that what you expected of the kingdom of God? Like, we're talking about eternity here, right? Like, we're not talking about this little blip and, and like a little blink of the eye in terms of time. We're talking about eternity. What, what do you expect to see in the kingdom of God? Like, a really good question for us. Like, what do we think we're signing up for? Because in the first century, what they're signing up for is so different than what we sign up for in the 21st century. If God can fix my marriage and restore my bank account and get me my job back, I'm all in. Right? And so he's going... What, was that what you were looking for in, the, in John the Baptist? Because he ate locusts. He lived out in the middle of the wilderness. He was an outcast. What, what did you expect to see, right? And then he says it again, verse 26. What then did you go out to see? What, we're talking about eternal life here, right? What did you go out there to see? A prophet. Oh, yes. I tell you, and that's more than a prophet. This is the one whom it was written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. And he's going, let me remind you what you would out to see. For 400 years, Malachi had said it in the Old Testament. He said that one day God would come and he'd reign and he would establish his kingdom. And remember, you all wanted that kingdom for 400 years. It was completely quiet, right? But you knew in Malachi that God was going to send the prophet. Who's a, he wasn't going to be the one. He's just going to be the trumpeter. And he's going to declare, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Remove every mountaintop. Fill in every valley. Make every crooked path straight. Why? 
Why? So that the door can be opened and everyone can see God's salvation. That's what you're looking for. You weren't looking for a solution to birth to death. You were looking for a solution for what your soul longed for all eternity. That's what you're looking for. That's right. Remember, it was this prophet. And I tell you, this is what it says in verse 28. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. This is so, so confusing. And scholars have argued so much about this. But here's what I think it's saying. He's saying, let me tell you about John. John's this prophet. But in this world where John was calling this picture of where everybody was going, he said he was the greatest over here. He put all of his heart and soul and trust and faith in me, even when he got it. But let me tell you, for those of you who cross over in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, for those of us who live here, those of us who put all of our heart and mind and soul and strength over here, what John was over here, is less than what you and I and all the people to come are going to be over here. What it looks like to literally live in the kingdom of heaven. To speak life in the people. To walk in joy and peace and hope and happiness. Regardless of the circumstances. Because I tell you, he was great. Oh, was he great. Greatest person to ever live in the kingdom of earth. But we're not talking about the kingdom of earth anymore. We're talking about eternity. So what would you expect? A guy in fancy clothes? going to and fro to whatever whatever the new opinions are no this is a guy who was rude and saying this is what the kingdom of heaven looked like in verse 29 so good he says this when all the when all the uh, people heard this and the tax collectors too they declared god just having been baptized with the baptism of john they're going oh yeah 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 that's right sorry that's right that's right that's how you get over there john led us there that's right this is just this is god's plan we surrendered our taxes we surrendered our jobs. We left our fishing business and we followed him. And many people are going, yes, that's where I want to live in, the kingdom of heaven where we put all of our hope and trust in God, even if we don't understand it all, even if we have doubts. So many people are like, that's it. That's the life I want. Verse 30. But the Pharisees and the lawyers, the ones who really understood the Bible, the real religious people, rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized, Right? In order to get where you want to go, you got to leave where you want to stay. And there are some people going, over here is working out for me. It's just working out for me. Why would I go over there? I got money in the bank. Got lots of comfort. Over here, right? So the, the way by which we enter the kingdom of heaven almost always, unfortunately, is through pain and sorrow, which is why I'm so grateful that our world is so broken right now because it's not working out for all of us. And so there's these two different people. And so Jesus is going to go, okay, now that I have your attention, there's two different people. Let me tell you what this is like. This is what he says. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? So I'm about the religious people, but I think he's talking about some of us as well, right? Uh, and what are they like? So he's going, okay, there's two different types of people. Remember, kingdom of earth people, Pharisees going, no, I want to stay here. Really, really comfortable. And those are going, no, 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 it's over here. It's over here. We're talking about eternity that starts over here, right? He says, let me tell you what they're like. Verse 32 says this. They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. And you're like, what does this mean? Does it make sense? It, it will make sense. Watch this. So every uh, night, we try to. We don't do it every, for the most part. We try to sit and have a, a meal together as a family, and then we ask questions about the day. Hey, what, what was your favorite part of the day? What made you laugh today? What made you sad today just ask those questions and what we've had to do is we have this potato masher 
that uh, we have to pass around because that's what the microphone is. And the reason being is they just talk over each other. And here's what I've learned. So interesting. They all like sharing, but none of them like to listen. Right? Like, think about it in your conversation, especially if it's kind of a heated one. You're not, you're not listening. You're waiting to talk. Right? And so when you see those things, everybody's like, let me tell you my story. Let me tell you my story. And the other kids are like, oh, my goodness, could you just get over your story so I get to tell my story? Right? This is all this performance. And so this is going, hey, I played a song, but you were supposed to listen to the song and dance to the song, but you didn't listen and dance. Mom! They didn't listen and dance during the song. You, you got it? I mean, so he's saying, this is literally what you're like. You're all in this kingdom of earth where you're just performing. You're talking about how good you are and how much you give and how much you know and how much you, you did. But none of you are celebrating that. You're all just waiting for your turn to talk. Give me the microphone. Let me, let me share what I did, right? And he's going, they sang a song and nobody danced. They made something sad and nobody cried, right? This is just this performance and theatrics over here in the kingdom of earth where it's none of it's real. All of us are just waiting for our turn. And he said this, verse 33, For John the Baptist came eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. So you religious people, you said it's all about performance, and John was the best performer. And you said he was demonic. And then, which is so, so interesting, then the Son of Man, that's Jesus, came, he came eating and drinking. He, you know, John was very introspective and reflective and grieved the sadness of the world. And Jesus brought in a party. So Jesus started ushering the parties, loving the tax collector, and he said this, so I, I came, I came eating and drinking. I came to establish the kingdom of heaven. John was grieving the kingdom of earth. I came to establish the kingdom of heaven. And Here's what you said about me. Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So you're spending all your time and all your energy on this performance art, and you're sitting back, and you're just being suspicious. And he says this, verse 35, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. So he goes, look, there's two different types of people. There's the people that are sitting waiting to talk, and it's all about the performance. There's all this different stuff and all these different theatrics, and you're really, really just trying to perform well and take care and stay in comfort. And there are people that are going, I don't understand it. I got some doubts, but I don't want that kingdom. I want to live in that kingdom. Two different types of people. And he goes, hey, there's two different types of children, and wisdom is justified by all their children. That word wisdom, I love it, love it. The Greek word for Sophia. My, my daughter's name, Sophie. In fact, her birth mom, not a believer, gave her the name wisdom, right? So Sophie, Sophia, it literally means wisdom. So he's going, there are two different ways, and I think this will help you, I think this will help you. There are two different ways to look at the world. You ready for this? One is analysis, and one is awareness. Analysis or awareness, and he's saying, over here, it's all about analysis. You're sitting up on your perch, making declarations about, no, that, that's not what God wants. No, no, God couldn't be loving because of that. Like, this, here's an example. Then the scripture says, this is the day that the Lord has made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. Many of us in our analysis go, well, it's not really a day that's good. There's poverty, and there's pain, and there's affliction, and there's injustice, right? You go, how dare? There's no way. There's nothing you're rejoicing. That's analysis. The other one is just as simple. It's just awareness. You go, well, the God of the universe said, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Analysis goes, well, I can't be glad in it because there's so much broken. Awareness goes, God has made today and invited us to live in it. We're just going to rejoice and be glad in it, right? Two different worldviews. One is analysis, where we 
basically play God and judge and jury. And the problem with that end, think about it for John the Baptist. No, I can't follow this guy. I'm in prison. I'm in a dungeon. There's no way. Or awareness. Jesus told me that he would make all things new, that he worked all things together for my good and his glory at all times. And while I can't see it, while I don't understand it, even when I can't not fully grasp it, I know he is working. Why? Because he's God and he's king and he's Lord. We're talking about eternity here. And so there's two different ways to look at it. There's God who maybe, maybe not, whatever, I'm not real sure. I'll follow him today. Go, you know, go the other way. The reed's blowing, the wind's blowing, right? Analysis. Our awareness. And let me give you some words because the band's about to come up here and sing them. So here's what I mean by analysis. We look at Jesus and go, I'm not so sure he's capable. Or I'm not so sure he cares. Or I'm not so sure he's actually that interested in me. Okay, so I'm not real sure. Or awareness. And we go, while I can't see it, while I don't understand it, I'm going to trust him. And so the words that we're going to use today, right, here's, here's awareness. Jesus is the artist. Jesus is the artist. I'm the canvas. Got it? Jesus is the artist. Even though I can't see it, even though I don't know it, I'm just the canvas, right? I can't see the whole picture because I'm not the artist. I'm just the canvas. So Jesus is the artist. I'm just the canvas. One more while it's rolling out. Jesus is the potter. I'm just the clay. Even though I can't see it, even though I look like this dirty clump of mud, analysis would tell me that, then that's not beautiful. Awareness goes, oh, but I'm not the artist. I'm not the artist. I, of course I don't know what it's going to look like. Because I'm not the artist. I'm not the potter. I'm just the clay. I'm just the canvas. John the Baptist is going, I'm in a prison. Oh, yeah, but I'm not the artist. I'm not the author. I'm, I'm just the pages. I'm just the ink. I'm just the canvas. I'm just the clay. It's awareness. Living in the kingdom of God is not having it all figured out because we don't in our world. It's painful, but it's going believe. I believe he's working these things together for my good. And I believe he's working things together for his glory. And even though I can't see it, I know and I'm going to trust those things. Even when I doubt it, I'm still going to lean in fully. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, in eternity, which is what we're talking about here, guys. We're talking about eternal life. I promise all those things get reconciled in every single story. It's beautiful. You just might be in a really ugly chapter right now, but the story is beautiful. You might just be in the quick little pencil sketch. You're going, that's it? Oh, no, that's not it. That's just, the, that's just laying the foundation for what's to come. You might still just be in this clump of clay, and he's still molding it. Oh, but you haven't seen the vessel that he's about to put together, and, and people are going to get to use and drink from and enjoy and marvel at. We're talking about eternity here. So what's going to happen in just a second? The band's going to play a song over us, and we're going to get to sing it. That he's the potter, I'm the clay, he's the... He's the artist i'm just the canvas but before i told you it all starts with jesus he is the beginner of all these things and so maybe today for you you online you're on the parking lot maybe today this is the first time like your eyes are opened up and you're going i'm the clay how do i get in that and the bible tells us it's impossible to please god without faith and faith comes from hearing that's what you just did and what are you hearing the word of god so the Bible tells us the way that we enter into the kingdom says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, not Caesar is Lord, not Josh is Lord, not you are Lord, 
is saved. So before we sing the song, I just want to give you a moment to just talk to God about that. And so if you would, and this is way for you, you don't have to, but would you just close your eyes for just a second? I just want to see if God is saving someone today. Right here, online, wherever that is. Some, it's very possible God is saving someone today. We're talking about eternity here. And so it's really, really simple. Sometimes give you words, not my words. They, they won't fix you. But Jesus is will. So just give me these words. That's all you got to tell him. Right now in your head, and your heart, just go, God, I've lived in my own kingdom. You can use the kingdom of earth if that works, or you can use the kingdom of your own name. And you just would acknowledge to him that you've tried to do things your own way and turn your back on him. It's called sin. You can, you can call it that. It just means missing the mark. It means just not living the way that God wants you to. Just, just tell him there right now, God, I... I've lived in my own kingdom, and I've chosen my own plan, and that hasn't worked. And you can go, God, would you forgive me for that? You say, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for trying my own way. I'm try- sorry, sorry for trying to be my own God. Caesar is not God, and I'm not God. You are God. And in this moment, you can just ask him, like, hey, Jesus, would, would you come and bring your kingdom with you? Would you bring it into my life? You can invite him. The Bible tells us in Revelation 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. That's Jesus who's doing the knocking. And anyone who will open the door, it says Jesus will enter. He will enter. He's going, I will enter and I will dine with him. So we just invite him into your life. And then there's the big one. This is the big one. And then tell him this, that you want him to be Lord. That he's the Lord of your life. That he's the boss. That his ways are better than your ways. His plans are better than your plans. You just did that. It's so crazy. We're talking about eternity here. Everything just changed. Your trajectory, your life, and it might not feel like it today. It might not feel like this week. You might be in a really difficult chapter still. But your story just got written by Jesus' death, burial, and then resurrection. Your story is now written in resurrection life, meaning it's you and him forever. And so if that's the case, would you just tell him thanks for that? Like, thanks, Jesus, for saving me. And then one last kind of caveat I just would challenge you to tell him, hey, I don't know how all this works. I still have my doubts. But I'd really like to follow you. Would you help me follow you? You can say that to him. And as you're saying that to him, I just want to give you some good news. Jesus says that he gives us his spirit. So right now, it's not like you were trying on your own to follow him. You can't do that. But his spirit, literally, it's so crazy. We're talking about eternity here. Has just invaded your life. And it will change everything about your trajectory. And it's not your work. It's your witness. And so tell Jesus right now that you want to see him at work in your life and your eyes are open and your ears are listening to what he could be doing and what he could be saying. And that's it. That's it. You and Jesus are together forever. And so what I would ask you to do, not right now, but boy, if that just happened, with, I think the Holy Spirit would want this for you. Would you just figure out a way to let us know that if it's, in direct messages, or you can text our church number, 610-869-2140. You can call us. You can email me personally at Josh at CLC Family. You can click on the connect card online. But would you just let us know there would be no greater email, no greater text for us than to see that life just got, our death just got transformed to life. We're talking about eternity here. Just love to praise God for what he just did in your life. So would you let us know? But for now, we're going to sing a song declaring that Jesus is the potter. We are the clay. So would you stand with me here? Out in the parking lot.
You can join us there online. You can join us and sing the song together.
I'm the canvas and the clay. What a beautiful thing to sing. You are not finished with me yet. I hope and pray that we all walk out of here in total assurance and total confidence that that is true, no matter where we are at in life. I want to send you guys off with a benediction, but before I do so, I want to remind you, if you want to wrestle with this content more, if you want to wrestle with the things that we talked about today, we invite you to send a question into overtime. You can send it to overtime at clcfamily.church. And let us wrestle together. Let us journey together in that and work through that in Tuesday's podcast at, at noon right here at the CLC. Uh, so let me send you all off with this. May the peace of God be in your heart. May the grace of God be in your words. May the love of God be in your hands. And may the joy of God be in your soul. Amen and amen. Thanks for being here, guys. We will see you next week. And you make all things work together for my future. Bring it on.